For our corporate worship, we meet on Sunday mornings at 1030. Uh, we also have a time of Sunday school, which is at 915 a.m. Our Sunday school program, we're going through uh, Apologetics 101. A lot of it is how to be a Christian in a college town. Uh, a lot of it is geared towards college students, college professors, and uh, just all of our people. They live in a college town. Uh, but we also do something on Sunday nights at 6.30 p.m. And uh, it's a series that I'm teaching through called Real Wisdom for Real Life, where we're talking about a lot of the different uh, topics in Proverbs, such as where can you find happiness? What should we believe about alcohol? How do we find true friendships? How do we communicate? How do we fight sin? All these different things. And uh, so I'd love it if y'all would consider thinking about coming to some of those uh, uh teachings and ministry of the word that we have. Uh, last thing before I read the scripture, uh, just to let you know, I'm, I'm what's called a, a feedback preacher. Uh, I want to know if you're alive. And uh, so I will say amen. And I want you to say amen because in Hebrew, the word amen means to believe. Uh, so one, I just want to make sure you're following me, but then also I want to make sure like, do you feel it? Amen. All right, come on now. I, look, I have a background in sports, so uh, that, that maybe that's what it is. So, all right, Matthew 25, 14 through 30, Matthew 25, 14 through 30. It's the parable of the talents. Jesus says, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. The, to one, he gave five talents to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five more talents. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who only had one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came back and settled accounts with them. And he who had... The five talents, he came forward bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents here. I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents here. I've made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you'd to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what's yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that where I would, I would reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But 
from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that at this moment that you would enlighten us by the Holy Spirit. Father, that you would show us the glories of Christ as we see him in this text, even this parable that he taught. While he is teaching, he's also showing us who he is. And he is who we need most. So, Father, wherever we are, whatever we're bringing in, would you meet us with your gospel of grace? We ask all this, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. How should we live this one life? C.S. Lewis once said, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for this present world were those who thought most of the next. Those who did most for this present world are those who thought most of the next, talking about heaven. It's actually, he says, since Christians have largely stopped thinking about heaven, as they've done that, they've become more ineffective in this life. Interesting. It's interesting that everyone today is asking, how should I live this life? Where should I go to college? What major should I have? Who should I surround myself with? What internship should I take so then I can maybe get this job? What fraternity should I join? What sorority should I join? And then when I join, who should I, who should be my inner group? How should I live this one life that I have? What Jesus is telling us here in this parable is this. Here's how you should live with this one life that you have on this earth. Live in light of heaven. Live in light of heaven. In the context of what Jesus is talking about, and actually in in Matthew 24 and 25, he is saying, look, I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to die. But don't worry, I'm going to rise from the dead and I'm going to ascend into heaven. But when I'm in heaven and you're here on earth, until I come back or until you die, live in light of heaven. That's what this parable is all about. How to live in light of heaven. Of the next world to come. So let's go back to verses 14 through 19. What is your purpose in life? Look at verse 14. I tell, I tell people all the time, keep the Bible open because it doesn't matter what I say. It only matters if it's according to God's word. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one. To each according to his ability, then he went away. Now, to help us understand this, we need to know what is a talent. Well, a talent is not what we typically think about. It's a a skill that we have or uh, a gift that's been given. This is actually a financial term in those days. And a talent in those days was a 75 to 100 pound bag of gold. This is what one talent would be equivalent to today. One talent in today's terms would be $800,000. So typically when we read this parable, we think, oh man, dude's only getting five talents. Like, that's it? Five talents is $4 million. 
So in other words, they're getting a lot even if they only got one talent. Notice the person who even got one talent got 20 years of minimum wage salary covered. How about that for fresh out of college job, right? So in other words, the five talent man, he would have gotten $4 million. And so when he invested, he also got $4 million in return, which totaled to $8 million. See, I graduated from college. There you go. Um, I only read pictures and look at pictures in the books, but I can at least do that. Man with two talents, he would have had basically $1.6 million and he would have gotten in return that same amount to then have $3.2 million. They're doing pretty good, right? So that's what a talent is. But notice this. Look at verse 14. Who do these talents ultimately belong to? Look at the very end of that verse. He entrusted to them what? His property. The talents belong to the master. Here's what Jesus is telling you and me. Our talents is everything that God has given us in life. Our looks, our height, our bodies, our gifts, our connections, what school we go to, the finances. Absolutely everything that you have in life, those are your talents. And they ultimately do not belong to you. They belong to God. Here's what I want you to do. Everyone do this. Breathe in. Breathe out. Where did you get that breath? It's a rhetorical question. Just think about it. You didn't get it from you. Everything you and I have, every opportunity is from God. He's given you talents to invest in biblically faithful ways until either you die or he comes back. It's not like the J.G. Wentworth commercials that are really popular where the slogan is, it's my money and I need it now. It's not ultimately ours, it's God's. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you didn't receive it? God has given us talents. And what those talents are is this. It's just where you are, who you are, and what you have. What we need to remember is that lots of times this happens to us in body and in soul. In our bodies, God's given us things at times like athleticism, smarts, beauties, wit, uh, money, just more time, uh, certain gifts and opportunities. And the question is this, whatever you have, are you investing in those things in a biblically faithful way or is it just for you? But God's also given you talents spiritually think about what all's around you in these years in college think about christians who love you think about the wisdom that is in scripture think about the evangelism that happens think about the plethora of preaching think about the fact that the very bible that you hold or either is on your phone was it has been brought here after two thousand years of literal blood sweat and toil William Tyndale, who translated the Bible into English, was killed for it. But now we have it all in our phones. We have great books today. We have several people are doing great podcasts today. 
You have small group studies. You have churches. You have prayers. You have friendships. You have pastors. You have campus ministries. Look at what all God's given you. That's good to enjoy those things, by the way. Um, It's kind of like if I give my son a gift, I don't want him to not play with it. I'd be like, well, what was the point? Now, I don't want him to take the gift and just throw it down on the ground and it break. Because then I'd be like, well, what was the point? I want him to enjoy that gift because as he enjoys the gift, I enjoy that. God's given us talents. But we also have to remember this. God's given us talents in different seasons of life. Y'all are in college. I'm not. Um, I have two kids and a third's on the way. Maybe some of you are engaged or you're thinking about getting engaged. Maybe some of you are single. Maybe some of you are president of your fraternity or sorority. Maybe you're a freshman. Maybe you're a senior. Maybe you're getting ready for grad school. Whatever it might be, you are in your individual seasons of life. And here's what I love to tell people. If you're 20 years old, don't try to be your 40-year-old self. Let your 40-year-old self be 20 years from now. Because you know what we're doing in today's world? We're constantly saying over and over, I can't wait till I'm this, or I can't wait till I can do this. And then when you finally get to that, you look back and you say, I miss those days. Y'all are in school. These are the talents God's given you. He's not calling you to live like your 40-year-old self when you think you might have it all together. By the way, you never do. He's calling you to be faithful now. Let tomorrow be tomorrow. Let today be today. I remember when in 2014, I, I was playing for the New England Patriots. I know this body just screams like a professional athlete. Um, and, uh, and I remember actually things were going really well. Uh, things were going so well. I was, it was probably some of the best uh, playing that I was doing in my whole career. And uh, I was rotating in some on the first team and, uh, but at the same time, I was miserable. And I called my dad and I called my own campus pastor who was at Tulane. And I said, I don't want to do this anymore. And they told me something that will forever stick with me. They said, look, you can't quit. Because God's calling you to be faithful right now. You need to finish this first. And then figure out what's next. Y'all need to be faithful where you are now. And then let tomorrow be tomorrow. God's got it. He's already in your future. You're just called to be faithful now. The purpose of our lives is to live in light of the fact that God has given us everything. And we're just called to be faithful to Him as we invest in those things. But even as we invest in those things, we always do so remembering that heaven is coming. Heaven is coming. This is not your only life. Thank goodness. Because some of you, maybe you've already hit this point or you're so fearful that you'll hit this point where we live in cancel culture today. Someone's going to become the next meme or someone's going to become the next joke or some people are still telling you about the things that happened your first weekend in your freshman year and you, can seem, you seem to never be able to get past that reputation. I get that. That's what my story was. But this is not the only life. Heaven's coming. You're just called, and I'm called just to be faithful now as we wait till we die or Christ comes back. Amen?
Ah, there we go. That's a little bit. I can work with that. But we'll... here, here, here's how we need to think about living. When the moon shines brightest onto the world, it's facing the sun. When it's facing the sun and soaking in the glory of the sun, it's shining most, reflecting most onto the earth. You could put it this way. The moon's relevance is when actually, not when it's obsessed with the earth, but when it's most obsessed with the sun. Do you guys want to have an actually heavenly, worldly, relevant life? Don't be obsessed with the world. Matter of fact, the more earthly-minded you are, the less earthly good you are. But the more heavenly-minded you are, the more earthly good you are. Making your longing, your ultimate longing, just to be with Christ. May that be your gain. Because when that's your gain, then you can live this way. Then you have nothing to lose because you already have everything. How about that? You know, the hardest players in in athletics, the hardest ones to play against, uh, were the ones who had nothing to lose because then they could give you everything they had and you're like, oh my goodness, they're going to do it again and again and again because they have nothing to lose. I love playing against DBs because I was a receiver. Let's, you know, no DBs. We don't do that in our family. Um, everything else is fine, but no DBs. So don't, don't come up and tell me I played DB in high school. Don't do that. Um, I love playing against a DB who just felt like the moment that he messed up, his coach would yank him out of there because he played so tense. But don't we do that with academics and friendships and internships and just the moment maybe you're thinking about what's it going to be like when I walk back into the house tonight and you feel like you're walking on eggshells? Actually, when we live tense in a fearful life like there's just doom and gloom around every single corner, we don't really live for the glory of God. We'll get to that more in a second. The purpose of your life is this. Faithfulness to God as you remember heaven. The purpose of your life is faithfulness to God as you remember heaven. But then what happens when, 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 especially these first two men, whenever they bring their talents after being faithful, what happens to them? Look at verses 20 to 23. Particularly, look at verse 21. His master said to him, talking about the man with five talents who earned five more, His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. If you want to know a little bit about me, a real pet peeve of mine is whenever people read scripture like this, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant, because nothing is more exciting than the Bible. You can laugh at that. That's okay. Um, The Bible's amazing. Look at the, the joy that Jesus is telling. This guy is thrilled. Well done. Do you guys believe that that's how God looks at you because of Christ? He's not a stingy God. He's a God who loves to delight in his children and see what this master, he, he, he's thrilled. And then you've got you to ask the question, well, who gets the credit for this? Is it God or is it us? The answer is yes. Philippians 2, 12 through 13 says this. You, or really, because I'm from Alabama, y'all, it's Greek plural, y'all work out your salvation with fear and trembling. 
How are we to do that, Paul? Great question. He answers it. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You are really being faithful to God, but who is empowering you to do that? Because you could not do that on your own. God is. And God delights when you are faithful to him. And actually, the more we understand how God graciously works in us, even though we deserve the exact opposite, it fuels us to want to be more faithful. Guys, if you can't earn your salvation, you also can't keep your salvation by being good enough. You realize that, right? If you can't earn your salvation by your works, you can't keep it or lose it because of your works. God is not depending upon you to be faithful to Him. You're depending upon Him to be faithful to you. By the way, He never fails. Amen? He's working in us and He's producing faithfulness in us. And then when we see Him on that last day, He says, yes, yes. And I love this. This is crazy. Did y'all catch this? He says, you have been faithful over a little. Now, last time I checked, I don't think $800,000 is a little. What is he saying? He's not downplaying the talent. He is saying this. If you realize who you have in heaven, then even if you had double of what Elon Musk had or Jeff Bezos has or combined them both and you had double that, you would have hardly anything compared to what you have in heaven. Amen? It would be like you had only one grain of sand compared to all the grains of sand in all creation. Because that's what you have in heaven. And it's not just because of what you have. It's who you have. Amen? What is it that makes heaven? Heaven. Jesus. Jesus. To finally be with him. To finally, to to realize that Finally, to see him and to behold him face to face, to see his infinite beauty. You got to think about the beauty that the Father for all eternity delighted with an infinite delight in his Son, never got bored. And Jesus says, Yeah, that's what you get. We are all looking, longing for beauty. problem is we often look for it in the wrong places. Once again, if I can paraphrase C.S. Lewis, the problem is not your desires are not too strong, they're too weak. You might go about trying to live in the hookup culture or have the next, you know, memorable slash really unmemorable weekend. You might try to have the next experience or the next emotional high or the next intellectual high or whatever it might be or an actual high. You might try to make it to the NFL and think that's finally what it is. By the way, I played with the guy who said, even though he was winning Super Bowls and married to a supermodel, he said, surely there's got to be more. And by the way, that still had not changed in 2014. You're never going to be satisfied until you find the source of all beauty. And that is Jesus Christ. Amen. Him. And that's the that's the joy that we're able to enter to enter into. I love that. That's what the master says. Come and enter into the joy of your master. 
That Greek word for joy, if I can just kind of nerd out with you for a second, it means abundant, great happiness. It's an experience of thorough gladness. Jesus is saying, look, life does get hard. But it is so worth it to be faithful to God, even when the world wants to pull you elsewhere, because heaven is worth it. And it's for sure. Because the resurrection of Jesus is for sure. Amen? But then we see something else. Look at verses 24 to 30. In verse 24, the one man with the one talent, which is not a small amount by any means, he didn't invest in it. And it'd be kind of like this. Imagine... If you went to someone whose job it was to make investments with your money, imagine if you just gave them, literally, you gave them $800,000 and you said, I want you, if you do one thing with this, invest in this wisely. And then after many years, what I'm going to do, I'm going to come back and I'm going to see where it's at. Imagine, even in this earthly example, if you came back and the guy said, yeah, it's kind of just been sitting in this bank account. We haven't done anything with it. Could you imagine how mad someone would be after all those years when you've been expecting that? That is what we do if we're not a believer. God has given us life, breath, a soul. He's given us a conscience where we know He exists. That's actually often the reason why we try to numb ourselves with either Netflix or you know, for me, it was drugs or athletic success or hookups or drunkenness or whatever it might be. I don't know what it might be for you. Maybe for you, it's just simply this. Maybe it's just busyness. Or maybe it's this. Maybe it's developing a Christian reputation because you just have, it all has to be about you. We'll do anything to ignore God. But that day is coming. And everything that we have belongs to him, and he will bring judgment on that. The ultimate thing is this. What Jesus is really getting at at the core is the ultimate foundational talent that you have is this. Have you heard the gospel and have you responded? Have you heard the gospel and have you responded? That's the ultimate thing. This guy calls this master, he says, you're hard. In the Greek, that word means you're harsh, you're strict, you're cruel, you're merciless. One commentator says this. It's like this guy is calling this master a vicious tyrant. That's a bold thing to say when he just gave someone $4 million to say, hey, go do with this whatever you want. Here's what's actually so fascinating. Notice that the guy who only had one talent, as he's picturing the master as being harsh, strict, cruel, merciless, notice that it brings him into a sinful fear lifestyle. And so he's just so afraid that it cripples him with anxiety and all this. Notice that that's what the master gets mad at. This is one of Satan's biggest strategies in the Christian's life. 
is to make you live with such shameful fear over what you've done. To make you picture a God who is just harsh and cruel and it's kind of like he treats you like it's the Charlie Brown rain cloud that just follows only you and you around everywhere you go. He loves to make you think that God's just trying, he's waiting to get you back. But notice that the way, the fuel for faithfulness is to realize how gracious he is. Amen? Do you see what Jesus is saying? How do you grow in being faithful? It's not by beating yourself up. Now to be sure, no one takes sin more seriously than God. But no one takes grace more seriously than God. Amen? You must be convicted of your sin. You must see God's law to see where your sin is. But if you're only looking at your sin, you're telling yourself only half the story. Romans 5.20 says, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. That Greek word means to super, put it this way, super duper abound. Meaning that there's no possible sin that can even match, even come close to matching the amount of grace that you have in Jesus Christ. Amen? How do you grow in faithfulness? You believe that. Satan loves to make you think, well, I know Jesus is gracious, but he's probably gracious to Amy over here, but he's not gracious to me. Don't you dare do that. My friends, Jesus Christ is gracious for you. He came for you. Amen? This guy hides his money in the ground. And it's interesting because one person says that even though that was a valid practice in those days, we see that actually in another parable. It was a valid practice in those days, but in this context, it was deliberate disobedience. Listen. Our culture is constantly telling you over and over and over, just look at the Spotify Top 50, how you should live your life. Though a lot of people might be doing that, though it might seem like valid lifestyles in today's world, that does not mean it's biblically faithful. Who do you want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant? Who do you want to hear that from? The world or God? That's what Jesus is getting at here. He's getting at what are we investing in? But ultimately this. Who in here is good enough for this? Don't you raise your hand. Really, what's happening here is we are all the one-talent people. We've all lived a rebellious life. None of us have been faithful to God. None of us sought after Him. None of us cried out to him. Romans 3 says we had, there's no fear of God in our eyes. But he sought after us. Amen? He sought after us when we were unfaithful to him. If he sought after us when we were unfaithful to him, then do you think that now when we're learning to live a faithful life, do you think that the moment you struggle again with sin, he'll just say, well, that's it. I'm done with them. No! When he went to the cross, he absorbed the full wrath of God for you on that cross so that you would never experience any of it. Amen? And it's because of his faithfulness that now God sees you 
as if you did that. That's the gospel. Let me leave you with one story. 18-year-old Margaret Wilson, she was a Scottish woman in the 17th century. Uh, She was tied to a stake, a wooden pole, in the ocean when the tide was rising. And as where she was tied, she could see another woman who was also tied to a pole further out in the waters as the tide was rising. This slow, methodical death by drowning was ordered by the court of Wigtown for their refusal, for these women's refusal to swear allegiance to the King of England and to his church. Margaret Wilson, who was a biblical Christian, she had refused to swear allegiance, but yet her stake was more in the shallow end for the purpose of this, because they wanted Margaret, this 18-year-old girl, to look at this other Margaret, to watch her drown, and then it would peer pressure her to say, I, I, I don't believe Christianity anymore. Think about that. This other Margaret who's out further in the water, she was weak from prison and she died first and she had a short struggle for her life. And then for this younger Margaret, when the waters rose really high and when she was just at the point of drowning, they pulled her up and they offered her a chance. They said, you can forsake everything you believe if you'll just swear allegiance to the king. Here's how she replied. May God save the king if he will. And they put her back in the water. And as she was drowning, she was singing hymns and quoting psalms as she died. There was one woman, 18 years old, who probably not many people knew about. But because of her faithfulness in that moment, that story has benefited thousands, hundreds of thousands of people over 400 years. And do you know what she inherited? Heaven. And it's all because of God's grace. Amen? Believe the gospel and you will be saved. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask that in your mercy that you would do all that it takes to work by your grace in our hearts a life of faithfulness. Empowered by your Holy Spirit. And yet also at the same time we're asking that we, we know we're not faithful, but thank you that there is one who stands in our place. May we look to him and enjoy him. And as we do, may we be transformed into his image. We ask all this in his great and glorious name. Amen.